Apparently he was at one of these gatherings of international dignitaries. Um, he'd arrived a little bit late and this lady had helped them to arrive and settle in and shown them around. And so he just ended up chatting with her for a while. Um, eventually in the conversation, he had to be honest, he said, look, I'm, I'm really sorry, uh, I just can't seem to remember your name. And she said, oh, that's all right, it's Beatrix. And, oh, good, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to ask, what exactly do you do? And she said, well, I continue to be the Queen of Netherlands. He said, you don't really recover from that sort of moment. (laughs) If you're looking for the wrong thing, it can be very easy to miss fame when it's in front of you. If you've got the wrong categories, the wrong expectations, um, you're just not going to realise who you're dealing with. Which is a danger that John seems to be very aware of as he writes this book, isn't it? Uh, We're looking at a gospel, an account of Jesus' life. It's written by a man named John who was one of Jesus' disciples. And at the end of the book, John gives us a very clear statement of why he's writing. He wants to convince us that Jesus is both the Messiah, so a a king God had promised would change the world, but also God's own son. Have a look at uh, John 20, verse 30. I think we've got it up on the screen. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's John's purpose in writing. So here's the question, how will we recognise him? Especially given what we heard last week, remember? Uh, Opening of John 1, if you've got your Bible open, look, look at verse 10. What did it say? This light was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. So God can turn up in flesh, but we can miss him. John wants us to see this, that Jesus is God's son, and yet lots of people didn't. And people still don't. I mean, I I, I don't know if you had this conversation, sometimes I'm talking with people and they say, oh, I don't believe in God. And I find that such a shutdown of the conversation. So I'm learning these days when, when I feel like the conversation is going to go nowhere, I've got to find a question. I've got to learn to ask questions. Um, now, I don't say, why not? Because that would be a nice adversarial sort of moment. Uh, so I'm learning now to ask, oh, which God don't you believe in? So I want to hear more of what they think God is like. Because so often they'll say something like, oh, you know, a, a, a God who causes war who's too removed to care, you know, a God who spoils our fun, a God who allows terrible suffering down here but remains distant and does nothing. And if they answer like that, well, I've got this great moment of saying, great, I don't believe in that God either. And so we've shifted the conversation from whether God exists to a question of what is God really like and how would we work that out? Well, we're looking at this chapter. We want to see God, but we're going to have to have the right expectations. We're going to look at John's conversation with the Jews, and then we're going to see Jesus' conversation with his disciples. And all of it, it's about setting expectations for meeting God. How about I pray? Father, as we come to the Bible now, we pray that we would recognize who Jesus is and that you'd make it really clear for us. Uh, Give us a confidence that we can know you through him, Uh, Help us to see what that means. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so um, John begins, John the writer begins with John the Baptist, just like he said he would back in verse 6. Remember he said that uh, John was a witness to the light, um, Jesus. 
And that's exactly what we see John doing. We actually know from history that John the Baptist was very famous. So even years after John had died, there were clusters of his disciples spread across the known world at the time. Um, you, you have in the Acts of the, um, in Ephesus, Paul runs into a bunch of disciples of John in that city. So John is well known, but John's message actually wasn't about himself. His job was to point to someone else. Have a look at verse 19. The Jewish leaders come and ask him about his ministry and his first answer is what he is not. I meet a bloke at a business conference. I ask him his role in his organisation. He says, well, I'm not the boss. Immediately he shifted the conversation because now my next question is, oh, who's that? Um, He's shifted attention away from him. That's what John does in verse 19. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. Uh, Now notice that the Jewish leaders, they're not interested in the Messiah, they stay focused on John. So they list out the options. If he's not the Messiah, God's promised rescuing king, maybe he's Elijah, God's final warning about judgment. Or maybe he's the prophet like Moses who was sent to rescue God's people. Which is he? They want to know about John. But John says, no, if you've got to have a biblical category for me, I am just a voice. I'm just appointed to someone else, appointed to God coming. Verse 21. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now it's the same deal when the Pharisees come along. The Pharisees come and they're questioning John's authority to baptise because, you know, for the Pharisees, baptism is all about gathering a following. Um, you can see that uh, in Luke, he talks about them going and, and getting a convert and baptising them. Um, and I think it's the sort of dynamic we see in 1 Corinthians, you know, where I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, it, people get baptised and they want to be associated with the baptizer. But John isn't about building a following. His baptism is meant to reveal Jesus and that's because the Pharisees couldn't recognise Jesus, verse 24 Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptise if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptise with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. Pharisees don't recognise, but also notice that John couldn't recognise Jesus either. It's actually why he needed to baptise. Start at verse 30. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, But the reason I came baptising with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. See, it actually takes the Spirit to recognise Jesus. Look at verse 32. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptise with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. How do you recognise who Jesus is? I mean, the Jews and the Pharisees, they had all the Old Testament categories. They knew all the terminology. 
but they didn't recognize him because they needed the Holy Spirit. To recognize who Jesus is, you actually need help. You need to ask Jesus. And, and I say Jesus because look at verse 33 again. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus so that he can then baptize with the Holy Spirit. He receives so he can give it. You need the Spirit. You need help. Uh, spiritual things need to be spiritually discerned. That's what 1 Corinthians 2 says. Now, I'm not saying that to push you away as if, oh, you don't have the Spirit, you can't know God. I'm actually saying quite the opposite. I'm just saying you're going to need to ask for help if you're going to really see God. Uh, I'm male. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Um, And so if I go to wash some clothes and I encounter a piece of clothing that I've never washed before, what do you think I do? I could look at the label. I could ask my wife what to do with that piece of... I'm most likely going to grab it, chuck it in. Oh, she'll be right. We'll just wash it. Because it would take humility to ask for help. (laughs) If you want to know God, one of the first things you need to do is to ask for help. And that's why we pray at the start of our sermons. It's why when we get together at home group, we'll often pray before we start the study. I'm teaching it to my kids, you know, that we, we... In our home Bible readings, we pray and then we read. We can learn a lot of information from the Bible, but to actually know God through the Bible, we need God to be at work. We need help. Okay. So that's our conversation between the Jews and John. What about Jesus and his disciples? What do we learn from them? I reckon we learn what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, Look at what the two of John's disciples do, verse 35. The next day John was there again with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Now, they're not 100% giving over to Jesus. They're a little cautious. You know, when when Jesus asks them what do they want, they don't say, Oh, we want to see God. They say, Oh, uh, we want to see where you are staying asked to look at his motel room like it's a weird response Um, but even though he's God Jesus is patient with that response verse 38 turning around Jesus saw them following and asked what do you want and they said rabbi which means teacher where are you staying come he replied and you will see so they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him and it was about four in the afternoon so Jesus invites them to follow him Uh, Because the more you follow Jesus, the more impressed you'll be. And that certainly happens for them. One of them, Andrew, tells his brother, um, you remember how the Jewish leaders were looking for the Messiah? Andrew reckons he's found him. Verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was at one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. What does that mean? Well, it means he has authority. Imagine if you uh, invited a friend to church and I saw them coming in. So I walk up and I have never met them before, but I come up and I say, G'day, Alex. I'm going to call you Blockhead. Be a very weird introduction. And yet that's exactly what Jesus does to Simon, uh, well, to, to Philip. Uh, yeah, to Simon as Philip introduces him. Uh, try, sorry, no, Andrew introduces Simon. 
Verse 42. And Andrew brought Simon to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas, which uh, is translated Peter or, or rock. And it's the same sort of authority for Philip. The next day, he tells Philip to just pack up his bags. Jesus is leaving town. He expects Philip to just come along to... And even then he's not finished because everything actually climaxes with this guy, Nathaniel. Now before we look at Nathaniel, can I just point out something really interesting here? If I was going to tell a story about the early church, I reckon if I had a climactic day, I'd want to use a climactic personality. We've just met Simon Peter. He is one of the founding members of the early church. Um, as far as all the early church records re- recognise, he was really, really important. Surely, if I was going to tell this story, I would have put Simon last. He would have been the, the, the climactic day so that he, the, the biggest personality learns the biggest lesson about God. But instead, we meet this guy, Nathaniel, who we never meet again. I reckon that's one of those evidences that this is not a, a myth made up, a made-up story. It's that order just because, well, that's what happened. This is, this is the sort of stuff you get with history where the odd person ends up being the key player and someone else becomes the... the you know what I mean? This is the sort of stuff you get in history, not the sort of stuff you get in a made-up story. Anyway, back to Nathaniel. Uh, John pointed to Jesus. Andrew points someone to Jesus. Now Philip points someone to Jesus. But this guy is sceptical. And there's sort of an irony in his response. Um, you know how certain suburbs have a bad reputation, and so even if you're in a not a great suburb, you're just glad you're not in that one. So, you know, um, I may live in Logan, but I don't live in Anala, um, or that sort of logic. Bethsaida is a nowhere. <laughs> and this guy, Nathaniel from Bethsaida, he's dissing um, Nazareth. So Nathaniel starts sceptical, but when he meets Jesus, he's impressed. And he's impressed more than Simon. Listen from verse 46. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Well, come and see, said Philip. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. I mean, what a claim. That Jesus foreknew Nathaniel, that before Nathaniel was even invited to come and meet Jesus, Jesus knew all about him. That's saying something very interesting about Jesus and his relationship with his disciples, isn't it? That, that Jesus foreknew who Nathaniel was. Now, Jesus impresses Nathaniel, but Nathaniel doesn't impress Jesus. It's this really strange dynamic that happens in the book of John. Uh, Jesus does something amazing. Someone expresses faith in response to it. And yet Jesus tells them they're not believing right. That they're missing something. Because Nathaniel's recognised that Jesus is the Messiah, but he's not just the Messiah. He's not just powerful. Jesus is the gateway to God. So Jesus picks up this picture from the Old Testament. It's um, the story of Jacob. And he arrives at this place called Bethel. And wakes up in the middle of the night to see a stairway with angels coming up and down on it. And he realises, wow, this place, Bethel, it's the place where you can meet God. It's got access to heaven. And Jesus says, well, you know, instead of Bethel, you come to me now. Verse 49. 
Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? (laughs) You'll see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. See what happens? You can be impressed by Jesus, but not see who he really is. You can follow him, you can invite others to follow him, and yet not encounter God through him. It's the, uh, the thing that C.S. Lewis said really well. It's not enough to say that Jesus was a great teacher or a really influential person. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be the access point between heaven and earth. Either he is a lunatic, and he's got no idea what he's talking about, he's a liar, he's deceiving people deliberately, or he is Lord, and we need to treat him like that. So how will you decide? How can you make sure you'll recognise Jesus? Here's um, three tips, I think, come from today's passage. First of all, you need to listen with the Spirit. Uh, I'm just going to clarify that statement because you might mishear me. Um, sometimes people think you, you, you need the Spirit instead of the Bible. You've got this choice. You can, you can study the Bible or maybe we should just sit and meditate and listen to the Spirit. Um, can I point out, yes, it's true, the Jews, they had all the biblical knowledge but they didn't recognise Jesus. But Jesus' disciples are also using all these biblical terms, all these Old Testament Jewish scripture terms for who Jesus is. So uh, Andrew and Philip, they call him the Messiah. John the Baptist quotes Isaiah. Um, Philip says that the Moses and the prophets were talking about Jesus. That They all need the Bible to have categories for understanding Jesus. And especially when John says, look, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's, that's just straight from the sacrificial of the Old Testament. You don't understand that without Scripture. But you do need the Spirit as well. It's not the Spirit versus the Bible. The Bible is the sword of the Spirit. And can I particularly say that to you if you're still making up your mind about Jesus? So if you're still trying to work out, is this Christianity thing right or wrong? Is it true or not? Look, it is really good to investigate all the data. It's great to sit down and read the Bible and try and wrestle with who Jesus is. There's great hard questions that you need to ask. But at some point there, you also need to speak to Jesus. Um, You might find that really awkward. You might not know what to pray. It doesn't have to be complex. It can be as simple as, Jesus, please Show me who you are. And, and you might, might say that in your head. You might find a quiet room to speak to God. It doesn't matter. What I'm encouraging you to do is at some point you need to speak to Jesus. If you're going to seriously investigate him, you need to ask for help to recognize him. Okay, second tip for recognizing Jesus, follow him. That's what a bunch of these people, and what I'm saying is, don't wait for all your questions to be answered before you follow him. It's, it's right that you might find out some about Jesus and then say, you know what, I'm going to start trusting, I'm going to start, start living like he is Lord and just see where this goes. Um, I, I, 
this is, I, I feel like this section of the sermon I'd like to be able to unpack better, but uh, let me have a go at it. We are made by Jesus. Okay, so we are made to function as with him as Lord. That, that's actually our natural way of knowing the world, of engaging with the world. Our best way of, of our intellect, our body, skills, everything is actually framed to live in relationship with Jesus as Lord. And so when we don't live that way, our knowledge is affected. Uh, how can I illustrate it? Um, as somebody who's trying to decide whether to trust Jesus, it's a bit like trying to decide to get married. Um, you can do a lot of investigation about the person you think you might want to marry. You can spend a lot of time hanging out with them. You can learn what they like. There's a whole lot of learning about the person. But you're going to find, if you're, you're still thinking about getting married or you have found if you've had, been in this situation, there comes a moment where you just got to make the call. <laughs> you don't feel like you know everything about them. And you know that when you get married, there's going to be things that you didn't know that are going to be... be un- but the, you've just got to make the call and enter into that relationship to find out anything more. That's what it's like with Jesus. To really see him as he is, to really see him as Lord, you need to live with him as your Lord. It just doesn't work any other way. So I'm not saying do all the investigating, convince yourself of the truth, but at some point, and I say this because I've just been with so many people who we spend ages doing Christianity Explained and we, we answer all the questions and I, and I feel like they, they really are satisfied with the answers. But they're sort of just waiting for that, that clincher that never comes. At some point, you've just got to make the call and say, you know what, I've heard enough to know that this guy seems trustworthy and reliable and I've just got to start living that way. Okay, uh, one last thing about what it recognizing Jesus. Someone who follows Jesus invites others. Just see it again and again in this passage. Um, And often they do it before they've even found out everything about Jesus. Did you notice that? It's just this reflex. Andrew didn't do an evangelistic course before he invited someone to follow. Philip didn't memorize an explanation of the gospel. No one waited to be told by Jesus to invite others. It was just they were impressed by Jesus and they wanted someone else to find out. Because why wouldn't you? Look at Jesus in this passage. He has authority, but he's patient with these disciples who won't give him a straight answer. He's God's promised king, but he's also a lamb who will give his life to deal with the sin of the world. He's the one from heaven, but he's here to make connection from heaven and earth possible. That is a guy that's worth trusting. That's, that's the sort of stuff you discover when you really recognize Jesus. How about I pray? Jesus, we ask for your spirit to show us who you are. Uh, please reveal your authority and also do give us access to heaven. Give us a relationship with your Father. Show us what it means to follow you. And as we do, please show us more and more who you really are. We ask in your name. Amen.